You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Happy Easter to you. I'm Pastor Bob, and it's my privilege to give the Easter message this morning. I uh, preached my first Easter service back in 76. That was 1976, not 1776. (laughs) And it was in Bee Ridge, United Methodist Church, up in Knox County, Missouri. And you can't get much more country than Bee Ridge. And over the years, I preached a lot of different Easter messages that you can imagine. I've used all kinds of different metaphors. I've talked about sports analogies and resurrection plants and the St. Louis Cardinals and Easter eggs and the St. Louis Cardinals and (laughs) live butterflies and the St. Louis Cardinals and a lot of other metaphors to convince people, to try to convince people that Jesus is alive. Today I'm not uh, even going to attempt to say anything clever, but I do want to speak with clarity plain account from the scriptures for the reason, for the hope that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We're going to look at the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the Apostle Paul writes to the early Christians in Corinth who some have lost faith in the resurrection or are confused in the resurrection and he writes these compelling words about an historical resurrection, a future resurrection, and that personal resurrection that can happen, that must happen in every one of our lives. So hear these words of Paul when he writes, beginning of verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles." And so Paul says, first of all, this faith is something that's passed on. Is it passed on to us like the common cold? Well, not exactly. But I hope it's as contagious as the common cold. But it's a faith that's not reinvented. It's an historical faith. It's a classical faith. It's something that is rooted in history, in real time. That Jesus Christ, in fact, was raised from the dead. Now, Paul doesn't say just that, but he has three things that he says it's the essence of importance about our faith. He says that, first of all, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Many of us believe that we're pretty good people, and we deserve a pretty good life. Keep up with me. Thank you. That Christ died for our sins. That we live a pretty good life. 
and we deserve a pretty good life. But the scripture says that Jesus died not because we're good. He died because of our sins. Last Friday night when we were gathered here, the sanctuary was full and we recounted the Good Friday service. And we looked at the historical events that led up to Jesus dying on the cross. We came to that point where he stood before Pilate. And before Pilate, Pilate asked the question to the crowd, what am I to do with Jesus? What do you say we do with Jesus? And all of us in the crowd responded, as the crowd did that night, crucify him, crucify him. And I did not want to say the words. And yet as I said the words that night in this sanctuary, it became very real to me that the same kind of sins that put Jesus on the cross in the original story is a part of my story. That Jesus Christ went to the cross for my sins. I was part of the reason for his crucifixion. Sin is defiance against God. Sin is digging our heels in against God, and not just against God, but against each other and against ourselves. We live in a world, we live in a time where people are digging in and defiance about how they choose to live their life. Not unlike my 80-pound German shepherd puppy, when I say to him, mind me, he looks at me and whose army is going to make me? <laughs> but Jesus Christ did not die because we're good or because we earn his love. He died because he is good, that we might become good. And the scripture says he was buried. It's the Bible's way of reminding us that Jesus actually was dead. He really did die a physical death. And in dying, he was buried. They guarded against the tomb to suggest that fear-filled disciples would come and steal the body and then proclaim that he is alive at the risk of their own death and their own peril is preposterous. But the Bible wants us to know that he really did die. But if the story ended there, just think about this, if the story really did just end there, Jesus died for our sins and he was buried, then we of all people, we're most miserable. The joke's on us. We just as well eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. We just as well live for ourselves. We must just buy into the line and the bill of goods of our world today that it's, life is all about us. This is the only life we're ever going to live. And so you better do the best you can and have fun doing it. And that's all there is. And if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, that is absolutely right. But if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that changes everything.
And so we add, Paul adds those words that are repeated in scripture after scripture that he was raised on the third day. Paul wants us to know that this was an historical event. He goes on to say that he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to 500 people in one place. This sanctuary holds about 500 people comfortably full. So imagine Jesus, within days after his death, appeared in living form in a resurrected body before 500 people. And Paul writes about it and says, most of these people, when, when he wrote these words, they're still alive. You can check it out with them. And then Paul says he appeared to James and he appeared to all the apostles. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened in human history. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful summarization when he says that the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He has forced open a door that has, never been, that has never been locked, that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. So the resurrection of Jesus is an historical event documented time and again in manuscripts from the first century. But Paul isn't just satisfied in talking about an historical resurrection. But he goes on in this chapter and he declares about a future resurrection. Where he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that our two greatest enemies, the enemies that you cannot defeat and I cannot defeat on our own power, are sin and death. Jesus Christ took care of the penalty of our sins where we are forgiven through his death on the cross. But we need the resurrection power of Jesus to overcome our gravitational pull downward and that death is the last enemy that Jesus Christ is to defeat. That he defeated death and that there will be a future resurrection. And Paul goes on to talk about how death is going to be defeated. Did you notice the words? That time as we know it is going to be collapsed into eternity. We're going to step into eternity where time as we know it will be no more some of us are going to be alive when that happens and some of us are going to be dead 
but we will all be changed. And Paul doesn't say this once. He says this twice. How will we be changed? I'm glad you asked. We'll be changed physically. We're going to be changed spiritually and mentally and emotionally. The perishable is going to put on imperishability. The mortal is going to put on immortality. My wife and I recently purchased a new washer and dryer. After 18 and a half years, it was time. When we talked to the salesperson, several salespersons, in fact, told us this. If you get three to five years out of your new washer and dryer, you'll be doing well. Things perish. We live in a culture and a times where few things seem to be built to last. We carry around with us computers and phones and cameras that we spend a thousand bucks on that's going to be perishable within a few years. We'll just throw it away. We're living in a body that's good for maybe 70 or 80 years, or some of us, we're on borrowed time. This body is perishable. It's not going to endure. It's not going to last. And it's incredibly good news that there is going to be a future resurrection. There's going to be a future resurrection for people who have faith in Jesus Christ. My 97-year-old mother whose body is wasting away, I cannot wait till the phone rings and tells me that she has been released She's been released from this decaying body. The early Christians really got this. Do you know that the early Christians, when they went to the cemetery at the place of death, this has never happened in all the times that I have buried any person, but they would actually sing songs of faith and joy as they carried their body of their loved one to the grave. Now, death is not a fun experience in most cases in many cases. And there's deep grief and there are premature deaths. And there are deaths that are just aren't supposed to happen. But there is hope when any someone dies with faith in Christ. So when I die, I've asked Susan, or whoever's around, that when they carry my body to the grave, I want there to be singing. I want people to sing of the hope, of the faith, of the resurrection, that I have not just gone to a better place, I've gone to God's place. I don't want people to shout, I don't want them to be too happy. but I want them to sing. The scripture says time and time and time again that the angel of the Lord came and rolled the stone away and he sat on it. He sat on death. And there is going to be a day when there's going to be a death to death. There's not going to be any more death. And I am looking forward to the future resurrection that awaits us. But the story doesn't end there. And so to, to help lead us into this final aspect of the importance of the resurrection, I want us to point to the Chronicles of Narnia. 
and to the story that C.S. Lewis tells in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you parents, I, I got to tell you, I hope that you will read to your children from the story children's Bible in their preschool years. And I hope you will read to them in their elementary years, if not before, the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe story, Aslan, the lion, has been killed at the great stone table. And the great witch, and at her hands and, and the hands of her friends, have killed him. And yet when he reappears to, Mer to, to Susan and to Lucy, Susan looks at him, she says, you're, 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 you're not, a, not a, and she can't say the word ghost. But when he breathes on them and they feel the warmth of Aslan's breath, and when he licks them, and when they feel his hair, they know he's alive, and they rejoice and they celebrate and they kiss him. And then after that's all over, Susan asks the question, but what does this all mean? So what does all this resurrection mean for your life today? The Apostle Paul says this about himself. After he says, all these people that Jesus appeared to, he says, at last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was given to me, not without effect, for I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The Apostle Paul describes himself as the chief of sinners. He was the least likely candidate to be filled with God's grace. He was a religious zealot, a terrorist who was out to kill Christians, and he was persecuting them until the grace of God got a hold of his life. This personal resurrection then is the faith that is happening. It happened in Paul. And what Paul is wanting everyone who will read and hear his words today to know that this personal resurrection can happen in your life, in my life. I'm a, I'm a believer today for a lot of reasons, but mainly because of a lot of people. My grandmother Jenny and my mother, Jewel, passed the faith on to me. And over the years, I've been privileged to preach and know a lot of people in a lot of different places. And there's been struggles, and there's been personal crises, and there's been problems in the church, and there's some people I have had a lot of trouble loving. But God always had some people. You could see it on their face. Jesus was alive to them. And so in those times when I could not pray for myself, there were people who was always praying for me. When I could not believe, there were people who was always believing for me. And in this life, you know, we, we hit a wall of resistance and we build up these walls brick by brick. 
And in the wall of resistance, in this brick by brick, we, you can see some of the things that, that build and work against us. Strong egos. I'm not talking about healthy egos. I'm talking about strong egos where life is all about you. Self-condemnation. Shame. Not guilt about things we've done, but shame about who we are. Those things can build up a wall of resistance where we don't feel worthy of God's grace and love. And yet Jesus doesn't die because we're good. The good news is he dies because we've sinned. That there is no shame that should ever separate us from his love. Intellectualism. We can build all kinds of walls and reasons and theories that fight against the resurrection of Jesus coming alive in our life. And most of all, there's, there's pride. And yet, today, it's the gift of faith. It's the belief that he can appear, he will appear to you as well. That you can know him in a personal way. And when you meet him and you know him and you live for him, it changes everything. It doesn't mean that there's in this world is not going to be some catastrophic events. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some personal crises and tragedies in your life. It's just that when you know God, you know that these things are not coming from God. And you know, this is why Jesus came into the world. He came into a broken, lost, defiant world turned against him and gave himself up for us and was raised from the dead. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in us. The one thing that I would like to say to someone that's a believer today that I am glad that Jesus is your personal Savior but I would say to you, he is not your private savior. There is no such thing as a faith in a private savior. He's everybody's savior. And if you're a person that has personal faith in Jesus, you are to live out that faith in the world in community. And if you are someone that is struggling in your faith or you doubt all of this, you are still loved and you are still welcome here I get it, we get it. This is not in any way putting someone down. Some of us in this room have had some horrific things that have happened to us or people that we love this year. But the one thing I ask you to do is not to separate yourself from community and intentionally hang out with people who are hanging out with Jesus and are visible, tangible reminders that he is alive. Schweitzer is a church. We are, we're amped up for this. That in the things that we do and the things that we're about, just in those four different opportunities that Jason referred to earlier in the service is that whether it's praying the Psalms or whether it's the unseen real and, and going deeper in your discipleship or this sense that we are here for the people who are in poverty in this community and we're all about jobs for life. 
that we are a church. It's about what we say and do on Sunday is the same thing that we say and we do on Monday. And that we are here and believing that everyone is a value made in the image and likeness of God, that they have great capacity and that the kingdom of God is here and that God is calling us, calling us to be the church. And this is the reason why I stand before you this morning with so much full of faith is because of this church, because of this community. This is the community of people that keep me alive. We are Christ followers of all generations, engaging in worship, going deeper in discipleship, and creating caring hearts for community impact. Well, as the band is coming, and as we come into this time of celebration, I just want to remind us of the most important thing that Paul says, that Jesus Christ died because of our sins. Now, he was buried. And the third day, he rose from the grave. That there was an historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That there will be a future resurrection of the dead. And that there can be, there must be, there will be a personal resurrection for you. Where you are and I are able to say, by the grace of God, I am who I am. He appeared to me also. Let's celebrate the living Christ.